We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Uh, yeah. Another one of those. This is for my cue. Down to earth. Right. Join peace, baby. You know how we roll. There's so many that don't know. This is the WEEI Celtics Podcast. I am your host, Jared Weiss. I'm joined by the greatest beanie wearer in Boston history, Samuel Packard. How are we doing today, Packard? I'm doing fantastic. I'm wearing my beanies indoors because I feel like I have the face for it, especially when I have facial hair. It's kind of a nice uh, look for me, so I'm on rocking beanie indoors all winter long. i got to say, only person in the history of Gar- the Garden Report, my video postgame show, to wear a beanie in two consecutive shows. It's never happened before. So hey, congratulations. And I asked the people. Should I keep wearing the beanie? And the people said, yes, you look good, Sam. So I kept doing it. I give the people what they want. And they've seen what your hair looks like when it's not under a hat. And oh, yes. Yeah. Terrible, terrible hat hair. So we got plenty of salt stock here for you. But we recorded on a Tuesday night. And earlier today, Tuesday, forget about the David Blatt, Ty Lue news, all that stuff. Blake Griffin broke through the scene, knocking out the newsreels today with a wonderful, heartwarming story about punching his friend in the face who happens to be a staffer for the team and break... Actually, we don't know if it was technically in the face, but it certainly sounds like He it. broke his... And then breaking his, breaking his hand, requiring... He had surgery Tuesday morning. The press release says he's out four to six weeks. Doc Rivers says he's definitely going to be out longer than that. It's kind of a nightmare for Blake Griffin, who was supposed to be returning to the court tonight. I didn't know it was going to be supposed to record return tonight. Is it tonight or Wednesday night? But That's yeah, it's wild. kind of, kind of ridiculous. Terrible, terrible setback. And we have no idea what happened. It could have hit the guy in the face. He could have missed, hit a wall. This is his friends. We've seen pictures on Instagram. They're both taking pictures of each other, getting goofy. One time, this he's what he's a. What's he do for the Clippers? He's an equipment manager, but there was a time where uh, Blake made him uh, pretend to suck his D on, yeah. the, on the bench while the cameras were on them. At this that is the moment. D suck guy. That was so the, clearly that's pretty amazing. Boys. Yeah. So we don't like. There's some real drama going on here. Well, remember when Big Baby punched his friend in the backseat of a car and broke his hand? No, but that yeah. sounds like a fun time. That happened while he was in Boston, and that kind of pushed him out the door a little bit. Under the same coach, I would say that Blake Griffin probably is worth a little bit more of their time than uh, Big Baby, so he's not going to be getting thrown out the door anytime soon. But it's it's. I mean, we'll obviously hear more about this as time goes on. But it's one of the probably most like one of the funniest things to happen in the NBA in recent memory. And it happened to everyone's favorite team to hate. Uh, that was That's pretty great. And I want to give credit to, I think it was Noam Schiller on Twitter, who had one of my favorite tweets I've seen in a long time, where he said, it's really, uh, paraphrasing, but it's really offensive how everybody is referring to Austin Rivers as an equipment <laughs> manager for the Clippers, which I, I literally dropped my phone when I read that because I was laughing so hard. And the Clippers are kind of down low playing... Sneaky good basketball this year. They are. But with Griffin out, they've been playing well. I don't know how this affects them moving forward because you think you're going to want Griffin to return to the lineup, but they 
are going on a crazy winning, not a winning streak, but I think one out of like eight of their last ten games with Griffin on the sidelines. So maybe it's a good thing, but I can't say that because Blake Griffin's one of the best player forwards in the NBA. Well, the thing is they're going through an addition by subtraction by getting rid of Josh Smith, which I thought was pretty hilarious that, that the way that all worked out there. Um, and then J.J. Redick has been absolutely incredible. And we'll bring up some stats in a minute because we're going to get into that with Kelly Olynyk uh, after this topic. But they, the Clippers are always going to be a team that's ready to pounce and be a title contending team whenever they want. But they just – they always seem to be, for, for lack of better words, a fucking mess every single time. Like every year they are, regardless of who the coach is. It, it's probably really at this point, as we're seeing with Blake Griffin, it's kind of just part of the team's chemistry that it's – it's hard to imagine a coach would ever be able to fix. I don't know if it's part of the team chemistry. Uh, they ran into the Golden State Warriors twice in the playoffs. Like I don't think their teams are necessarily a mess this year. This could be just terrible happenstance. They did have the whole DeAndre kidnapping scandal. And they collapsed with the Rockets last year when they were up three to nothing. I mean they've they've had some they've had some like massive blunders. I mean I I would still rather be that team than pretty much any other team in the NBA. But they they're just kind of like a they're a, they're like stepping on banana peels all the way onto the path of glory. And they're ruining this is Chris Paul's window cuz how many years can he keep going? They need to win now if they're going to have they have the current core of their team constructed. They're kind of in win in the next one to three seasons mode. And with Blake Griffin gone, that's kind of just another one down the down the drain. Okay, so let's actually get into the Celtics here. So first up, looking at their upcoming schedule, they've got the Nuggets, the Magic, then in Orlando, then in New York to face the Knicks, who are actually pretty solid right now. Um, then they host the Pistons before going to visit the Cavs, and then finally hosting the Kings on Super Bowl Sunday, two weeks or a week and a half from now, which worked out nicely because the Patriots were kind enough to lose so that everybody could listen to our podcast. Just kick and give a us field goal. Just kick a goddamn field goal. Or, you know, not There's miss your first PAT in a second. God. Okay, sorry. And by the way, Packard's wearing the old school uh, Boston Patriots uh, jersey right now. Or, of uh, course you're going to get the ball back. You haven't stopped them in consecutive running plays all day. I'm sorry. You are saying about the Celtics schedule. podcast. So Celtics podcast. They've got, and we'll have to do a Patriots podcast after this. I, but those they, are my freshest takes. <laughs> so they, they've got a, an interesting schedule here where they're facing like pretty much every team that's like right around their caliber. You know, the, I mean, the Nuggets are a little bit lower, but the Magic have been solid and they're like right there with them in the standings. The Knicks are solid right there with them in the standings. Pistons, same thing. Cavaliers, obviously that, that game's going to be really fun. And then they Kings, who last night I stayed up till I think about two in the morning watching that game where Demarcus Cousins went, went absolutely apeshit and Rajon Rondo had twenty assists in that game. You know the Kings are kind of starting to feel a little bit of a groove here, so they're every single game there is going to be a team that they should be able to beat, except for the Cavs or the upper hand there. But the Celtics have always had trouble when they go on these long stretches against teams that they're good enough to beat. Yeah, we probably did this same exercise. Two weeks ago, um, right after Christmas, when they're headed in playing the Lakers, they had the Nets twice. Even easier schedule, and we thought they were probably they were primed to go on a winning streak, and they just didn't put together consecutive games. And maybe that was because they had some injuries. Marcus Smart was out then. Maybe now he's back. They'll kind of they'll take the next step. But this is the type of stretch that the Celtics just haven't been able to put together since the end of last season, and they just have to prove that they can beat good teams consistently, and it's just they need to do it for a five-game win streak. If they want to be 
a top four seed in the East, which they actually have a chance of doing if they can put it together. I mean, they need to climb one game in the standings, and they're literally a top four seed. That's what's so much fun about the East right now is they're two games out of third place, and they're, I think, two games out of, what, 10th place or 11th place? I mean, I can't really read the uh, standings from where I'm sitting here, but, I mean, the Knicks in Orlando, who are, like, in ninth and 10th place... They're two and a half games out of 10th. Yeah. yeah, so it's like... No, it's you can end up. I'm sorry, Orlando's in eleventh, but you can end up anywhere at any moment. That's what's fun. But so focusing on the Celtics, the big difference lately, and they've been generally winning overall lately. After we started to start digging their graves for them a few weeks ago, that's the fun of covering a team on a on a daily basis. Is Marcus Smart is finally getting back into a rhythm defensively, offensively, except for the, that Washington game where he actually hit some shots. Um, he's kind of the cohesion of the defensive unit, that pit bull unit that made them so good at the beginning of the year. It's coming back, and they're running teams out of the gym. They're building up huge leads that they can actually maintain, or they can at least like get like a decent lead and keep and keep the other team at bay, mostly because they actually have consistent energy defensively throughout the game for, I'd say, maybe the first time since Smart went down, except for like a little blip at the end of December. And we've seen the turnovers numbers for the other team go skyrocketing and since Smart's been back and that's the bread and butter of uh, this Brad Stevens team they're going to win on the defensive end especially with their perimeter defense hands in the passing lanes and it's allowed other players other than Isaiah Thomas to score um, because they just don't have to run half court offense as much and that's just that's good for this basketball team um, as for Marcus Smart's return you're right he's that back on defense I'd like to see him do Something more on offense, and I know he's going to get back into the swing of things, but he takes just as many bad threes as Evan Turner, and he does not get slammed for it. He has really no mid-range game whatsoever. He needs to kind of have developed that floater. And I know this is super nitpicking because he's is that pit bull and is going to give you crazy. He's going to average like four offensive rebounds a night just flying around. Sure. So I can't be too upset with the play of Marcus uh, Smart. But you're right, the defense has been drastically better recently, and it's allowed them to go small. And I think it, this is kind of the test. Is it sustainable over this next the kind of the games we were talking about? Okay, a few things I want to pick out there. So one, comparing Marcus Smart's three-point shooting to Evan Turner. Marcus Smart takes a lot of bad threes. Evan Turner almost never takes a bad no. three. He open gets threes. like wide open elbow threes all the time. Amazingly, was it the Washington game? I can't remember if it was Washington or Philly game. Evan Turner was foul taking a three with like oh, yeah. half a minute left, which was just incredible. Why would you the, close like, out on If him? you see Evan Turner taking a corner three, you stunt up to him, just make sure you cover the lane so he can't drive on you, and you just stick your hand up and watch him shoot the ball. You are not contesting that shot because he has pretty much not hit a three the entire season. Yeah, that's the thing. I've I asked him about uh, kind of his threes in the locker. He's like, I only take open threes, otherwise I'm swinging the ball. Yeah. Marcus Smart, we've seen just force a bunch of ones off the dribble, kind of fading away. Sometimes he makes them because that's fun, and yeah. NBA players will do that. If he was in the kind of Evan Turner possession or mindset of only taking the open ones, I think we'd be a lot. We'd think a lot better of Marcus Smart and his outside shooting, and his percentages would go up. Well, the thing is, Smart. 
is a guy that wants to be a scorer and is a natural scorer going back to his college days. But since he's gotten to the NBA, he hasn't had much of an opportunity to be a scorer. He hasn't really had much much of a chance to be kind of a dribble driver that finds his shots in the paint. So I think he's going through a little bit of Gunner syndrome on the perimeter where he's he right now is kind of resigned to being mostly an outside shooter. So whenever he thinks he has a chance to take a shot on the outside, regardless of whether or not it's a a, you know, a systemically opportune, opportune moment to take it, he's going to go for it because he wants to get in that scorer's rhythm. And for him, he get, he's one of those guys that he can get that the equivalent to a scorer's rhythm defensively. He gets it defensively where he's diving all over the place, muscling up on guys when he's switching on to bigger guys, stuff like that, that he can kind of find his momentum within a game. But he is a good – he was in college and throughout high school, obviously – a really dominant offensive player, and that was a big part of his identity. And obviously he takes pride in the fact that he's a great defender, but he wants to have the identity of being a really great all-around player, and part of that is he's going to take a lot of three-pointers that aren't necessarily good shots. Well, he needs to attack the basket. I think that was his strong point um, in while well, he definitely was at Oklahoma State, and is that drawing fouls. And I think it comes back to he needs the ball in his hands, so he needs to get better in pick-and-roll offense and make better decisions because part of that pick-and-roll offense is knowing when he has the space to take it to the lane and draw fouls. It's something that I've been really impressed with Jay Crowder this season. I Something I actually looked up the last home game, uh, Jay Crowder only goes right. Yeah, He only drives right, and he get, but he gets the lane uh, the second best. I, I mean, he gets the line second best on the team after Isaiah, and it's just something that Marcus Smart needs to— kind of adopt into his game because that's useful. Jay Crowder gets a lot of just bogus layups and it adds to his scoring and it's just helps him get in rhythm. Well, what's great. One of the main evolutions that Jay's made in his game since last year. And I like, I think I look at Jay's evolution basically as the first couple of months that he was here last year. And then April in the playoffs where he took another big leap in his game, but comparing, comparing that leap phase. And then this year, the big difference has been that he's gone from just a downhill runner from the elbow to a guy that can kind of pace dribble and attack. He can even stop and start a little bit. He's he's able to calm down on his drives and have composure. And I think part of that is that he's improved as a ball handler and he's more confident in himself. And I think he's even more athletic this year than he was last year. And he, he can make some pretty great finishes. His touch around the hoop has gotten a lot better. I mean, he... He scores some pretty amazing buckets. Almost every single game, he gets one really great drive in there. And he can finish over just about anybody in the league. Oh, absolutely. And he he's the perfect guy to have in this transition defense, into transition offense, because of we talk about his athleticism and his ability to finish at the rim. Also, I think he's one of the best outlet passers on the team. He can throw some he's crazy awesome. outlet passes after or steals. So they have the, the lineup to, to win and to be exciting. All right, I want to talk about Avery Bradley, the third pit bull in the crew. He's upset with his contract. Avery, what, what do you think about this? Uh, he's floating it out to the papers that he doesn't like his $8 million a year. Well, he switches to a bigger agent, and he wants to get some of the, the thrills or thrills of being with a bigger agent, which is a bigger NBA contract, bigger marketing opportunities, stuff like that. As far as his NBA contract is concerned, he got an eight, a four-year $8 million deal. He's in the second year of that deal. Um, I mean, he ha- he had to take that deal when he got it because he couldn't wait out for the cap spike, even though he knew it was coming because it was too far along. 
He got good security, which I think was important for him because at the time he was dealing with a lot of injury, like kind of nagging injuries that were affecting his game a lot, like how Marcus Smart is dealing with now, uh, how Steph Curry was dealing with earlier in his career to evoke the name of, of, a, of a lord in his presence. But with Avery, at the time, $8 million was looked at as pretty much right in the middle of market value. For Some him. people said he was overpaid. I, I, I don't. I don't really respect anybody that said he was overpaid. My apologies to anybody who I respect don't, who said don't, he was overpaid. Don't tell them you don't respect him and then apologize to him. You can't have it both ways. Did you say he was overpaid at the time? I wouldn't say so, but I was uh, kind of seeing it from watching a bunch of Avery Bradley and seeing his perimeter defense. Nationally, I think the perception was that Avery Bradley was overpaid. Now, here's what I'm thinking about the move. We mentioned he just changed agents does this sound like anything Avery Bradley would like in, hit at all in his character would like go and complain to the papers? This sounds like Avery Bradley's new agent flexing his muscles, yeah. showing Avery Bradley this is the kind of stuff you're going to get with my agency. I absolutely agree. Because Avery Bradley would never. He's the one after every single game is always talking about improving. And basically, if you listen to Avery Bradley, you can tell he listens to Brad Stevens because they kind of use the same exact phrases. He very like internalizes the things Brad Stevens says. He's the ultimate team player. I don't imagine for a second him whispering over to the Boston Globe and like saying, I'm unhappy with my contract. Also, he signed a contract. There's literally nothing that argument can do. It's the NBA. You don't get to rewrite your contract. No, like the, I don't understand it whatsoever. Of course he's upset. The cap is going up, but there's nothing he can do. There's zero point to this entire story. That's my... That's what I'm taking away from it. So, for one, my eyes just, like, significantly opened when you said that, when you made that point about Brad Stevens, because there was not a single person that reflects, that literally sounds like Brad moving their mouth like Avery Bradley. And Avery has always been that way. He's just, they have similar personality types. And now they have the same message. Yeah. But uh, with with Avery, because there's nothing that can be accomplished contract-wise, for me, that basically is just his, he's got a new agent. You got it. You nailed it on the head. Why am I repeating what you're saying? But I think the the important thing there is that when he actually hits the market, he's going to be 27 or I think 27 when he hits the market on this next contract, and they're going to be in this incredible era of cap inflation, which could deflate. There's actually there's been some rumblings that the cap might deflate after maybe four or five years. Nice. So, so that would be really fascinating to see if Who Bradley will... gets like an 18 million dollar deal, and then like the and then the cap contracts. Which, but I can't imagine the cap would contract. I mean, TV you know, TV ratings have been relatively steady, although. I heard someone say recently that ratings were a little bit down, but I know the NBA was announcing to, uh, earlier today that they had huge ratings after that uh, Warriors-Spurs game. Highest NBA TV could, game ever. And to imagine that the Spurs and the Warriors could be attracting huge ratings, that's that's a huge win on the casual fan market because the Spurs have been a team that the NBA always had terrible ratings for, even though a lot of us consider them to be one of the greatest individual teams of all time. Um, you know, the fans, I mean, the fans, I think, are behind the Warriors as far as casual fan interest and stuff like that. But the Spurs have never been that team that really attracted major ratings. So the NBA is they've got cash windfall after cash windfall coming for them, especially because there's going to be a ton more uh, opportunities for mobile revenue streams and for international revenue streams. So my point here on the Celtics podcast is that Avery Bradley is going to get a huge payday in probably three years, assuming he's still healthy and he's still the player that he is. And his agent, I think, wants basically to tell the Celtics that they need to plan their future around giving Avery Bradley 15, 
got 20 million, whatever the hell it's going to be. I mean, he's not two years before yeah. his contract's up. It's it's some BS. But, but I think, but the reason though is that I mean, one one the main reason is because he's a new agent, new priority sports management, blah blah blah. They want to make that quick first impression to tell Bradley you made the right move. But I think it's mostly that the Celtics are going to be spending a lot of money in the in the upcoming off season, and he wants to make sure that Ainge isn't making commitments that means that they're going to have to tell Bradley walk away or hitting the open market because having, because a huge thing for a player's value on the open market is that the threat that the, that the team that he's on is going to make him a better offer using bird rights than you can make. So it's really important from Bradley's negotiating standpoint with the entire NBA that Celtics can all, that there's a looming threat that the Celtics using their bird rights, him can make a bigger offer than whatever's out there because that allows him to ask for more money. And of course, I, I think we, it's pretty apparent that Bradley loves being here is very happy here, despite the fact that he's sharing a two person backcourt with three very good players. Well, I have no idea how Avery Bradley's feeling because he would never tell you He's just kind of a silent kind of individual. He's, but... he's more closed off than when he was. I mean, I used to talk to him a lot more when he was in his first couple of years here, but he's become more closed off after the last few years. All right, something you mentioned is the Celtics spending a lot of money this offseason, and that kind of brings up a debate that I've been having in my head about the trade deadline. Other than getting rid of the David Lee contract, considering you want the— You'd want Danny, if you were Danny Ainge, you'd want to have as much cap room as possible. Is there a trade that's out there that's worth taking on a large contract or a multi year deal, considering you want as much cap space as possible just for the chance at Al Horford? I won't even say Kevin Durant because I don't think that's happening. No. So there's just, I don't, I don't think the trade line's going to be dead this year, especially on the Celtics end. It's just, just too many teams are contending and none of teams have and everyone's caps going up so everyone wants cap space and no one's going to take the clunker of a deal. So for one, I can't think of another player in the NBA than Al Horford that the Celtics should get more. Like he's he would be amazing if they could get Al Horford. I've tried yeah, to make I, the I pitch to Al Horford myself they oh, should yeah? come to Boston based on how we treat uh, Dominican athletes. <laughs> um he said he talked to have, Pedro. Should, yeah, it's about to say they Pedro, should have Pedro and Poppy recruit him. Absolutely. Get Manny Ramirez in there too. He's a legend. I'm just a huge oh, well, Manny Man- fan. Well, Manny part did very well with the city of Boston. I still love him. Well, if they get Horford a road manager to throw to the ground. Hey, I'll be that road manager. Sign me <laughs> up. I'll take his abuse. He's a great center. And he, Wait, so what did Horford say? He was said he's good friends with Pedro, and he's he's never really heard them talk about playing in Boston, but he was a huge fan of Pedro growing up and is, like, good friends with Poppy. So, Danny Ainge, you have some ambassadors there for the offseason. But that being said, I agree with you. There's no deal out there that is worth it. Well, not Gordon Hayward. Oh, because no, Zach Lowe. You shut your face. <laughs> and everybody in Boston is losing their minds over the potential of getting Hayward, which, I mean, there, there isn't like an actual potential of it happening. It's just that that would be a guy that they would want. But while Gordon Hayward is a really good player who I like very much, you're, you would be paying him down the road a lot more money than you're paying Jay Crowder, who is a very comparable player. And I think Hayward is probably a little bit better than Crowder, but you're paying you're paying seven million to Crowder. So Hayward doesn't fit a need for that team. If they want to move forward with a team that I mean they have to figure out who they're putting at the five there, but if they want to move forward with a team that has Hayward at the three and Crowder at the four, that definitely works. And Crowder's making only seven or he's making little enough that he could be a guy that's playing 30 minutes off the bench and he's still 
you're not really hurting your cap situation that much. So, and that because they're gonna, if you have that team, you're gonna need a, you're gonna need a big, they're gonna need some sort of defender to defend the rim. Because while Jay Crowder is a really good perimeter defender and he can make some good defensive plays in, on the interior, he's not, a, he's not a guy that can defend in the, you know, kind of near the rim. And everyone in Boston thinks that you don't need a rim protector anymore because the Celtics are good defensively, but the Celtics do have good rim protectors. They're just not like amazing shot blockers. Like Omir Johnson is pretty good at defending the rim. Uh, and Kelly Olynyk is actually a really good pivot defender now. He's really good at rotating into positions, getting into position. You know, half a defense is being there a second earlier than the offensive player, and that's what Kelly Olynyk has become good at. So that's why they have really high net ratings with Amir Johnson and Kelly Olynyk on the floor, which is something I'm going to get to in a minute. But they they don't they don't have to get a great shot blocker. They don't have to have an Al Horford for defensive reasons. But they just they're going to need a guy at the five that's just like is a presence down there. They need some sort of future at the five, and because they have so much depth at the wing and guard position right now, if you're thinking of trade targets, it doesn't make sense with the way the team's currently constructed to bring in another three small forward. You think you'd get... You think you'd have to send a shooting guard or some guards packing. It's hard to think about adding a guard or a wing to this roster. Adding a big man like Kevin Love, the rumors are out there, like Boogie Cousins, the rumors aren't really out there, but people just like to talk about it. That just makes more sense with the way the roster looks right now. I mean, yeah, if you put any of those guys next to Kelly Olynyk, I think that would be pretty great because that allows Kevin – I mean, I don't want to focus too much on this because it's such a pipe dream, but uh, Cousins, I think everybody saw what he can do offensively. Um, and he got criticism for the way he played defense at the end of that game last night because he was literally just standing there watching on defense. I think while generally he's not that good of a defender, I think that was more of a product of that he could barely breathe and barely move. It was double so, overtime, yeah, baby. And the things that he was doing offensively, because you looked at him, he like couldn't move, and then he would you give him the ball on offense, and he would throw a guy out of the way and score on him. I mean, Cousins is incredible, and while I think the issues with his personality type, his leadership skills, and his reliability are actually serious issues, his talent overcomes it enough that there's not there's not really much you can give up. That isn't worth it, you know. If the Celtics get the number one pick in the draft next year, I would probably, I'd rather have that draft pick, uh, assuming Ben Simmons really is as good as he appears, or Brandon Ingram really is as good as he appears. But otherwise, you know, Demarcus Cousins is your guy there. And then with Kevin Love, you know, Love is going through the same thing that Chris Bosh went through when he played with LeBron at first. Bosh had to completely reinvent himself as a perimeter shooter and a great defender. And Bosh went from being someone we were laughing at, and I was leading, I was the first person laughing in that. To he looks like a dinosaur. He's actually, a, yeah, he does. But he's actually a great player again, and I think he's. I actually am comfortable with him being a Hall of Famer now, even though a couple years back I wasn't. Kevin Love needs to do the same thing. He's not. He's not showing the improvement defensively, and it's still early, but there's time. Um, but it was a problem enough that a coach got fired for it. And while obviously LeBron was probably the, one of the main reasons for that, I think Kevin Love's inability to uh, assimilate with the team well and fit in with the team well has been the other major reason why well, the Cavs made that move. There was some report out of Israel that David Blatt told his friends, it's Kevin Love or it's me. He said that about two weeks ago. And then David Blatt gets fired. Let's talk about it. We haven't well, even talked and, about it. And today uh, there is a report from uh, David Pick, who's like the, one of the two great reporters over in Europe, that 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 an owner of Maccabi Mikhail- Tel Aviv, who was also a part owner of the Heat, said that uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv is where David Blatt was before. He said that uh, LeBron was the one that got rid of Blatt, and he tried to do it with Eric Spolstra and failed. 
And that guy later recanted that statement and said that he didn't even really say that about Spo. So it's kind of unclear how accurate that reporting was by Pick. But Pick has always been one of the best reporters in the world, uh, literally. Um, well, the guy probably said it. Yeah. He just didn't want to be but on then record he, saying yeah, it. Yeah, maybe he wasn't on record saying it and then backtracked it. But it's out there. It's it's very much out there. And you combine all the all the smoke screens with the Blatt firing. And then you combine it with what Ty Lue has been doing. Just stomping all over yeah. the yard in his first, you know, running up to the guy, the guys lifting weights and telling him you're gonna wait behind me in line to get onto dumbbells. I mean, he's been he has been absolutely wrecking, the, just wrecking stuff in the queue. He said he's gonna be better than David Blatt, which he- was, I mean, I don't know what the phrasing of the question was, but unless the question was, are you gonna be better than David Blatt? That's a, that's a bold. Is he gonna move. try to do the same thing with Kevin Love? And he said, No, I'm not. The, I'm pretty much gonna do the same thing. I'm just gonna do it better which is awesome which is then he really told the players great. he's out of they were all out of shape targeting lebron who responded it'll take me a week to get in good enough shape to run dave uh, well, to run ty Lue system which i thought was hilarious that's another one of the rumors coming out is that david blatt refused to call out lebron when like doing film and he'd just be like yeah. tristan thompson how'd you not do this and then lebron would do the same thing you just wait no, th- like yeah. that just doesn't work. It sounds They'd like they Trajan Langdon. Why didn't you do this? You retired ten years ago. But come the on, Alaskan Trajan. Alaskan assassin. Come on, Trajan. <laughs> Another Alaska connection here on the pod. But so with with Lou, or I'm sorry, with LeBron, with him saying that, I thought that was hilarious that LeBron said that because LeBron is LeBron said I've basically been coasting on my conditioning because I didn't feel like it. And I'm good enough to get into what I assume is "quote unquote" great shape to play in Ty Lue's system, which isn't going to be drastically different. No, just it's, better. It's going to be basically <laughs> Blatt's system, but with the players actually trying hard because they actually want to listen to their coach. You know, what was the best thing about the entire uh, kind of affair was watching on Twitter was how quickly the internet was able to Photoshop both Jordan crying face onto the original Ty Lue photo. And David Blatt's face onto Ty Lue and Ty Lue's face onto Iverson Which was onto that photo. It was like seven minutes of the announcement. The internet's amazing. But what was also rich was Ty Lue saying that Irving and Love need to forget about their brands and get in line behind LeBron and get in line with the team, which further illuminates, which I think the issue for Blatt was getting those two guys in line and, of course, corralling LeBron because they were taking their cues from LeBron. It seemed like, I mean, Della Vadova basically said he owed his career to Blatt. I think a lot of other guys felt, you know, Mozgov, obviously, um, Tristan Thompson, I would say so. Um, and then it was Richard Jefferson and Mo Williams apparently were furious that they suddenly got replaced in the lineup by, was it uh, Shump and who else was it? JR? There we go. Um, which, like, I mean, like they made the trade for them. Last year, they were good, I'd say. Um, Jefferson is who he is now. He's like, you know, he's basically a 3 and D guy. And then Mo Williams is like, just like JR. It's just like a, he's, he's an erratic gunner. So, I mean, there's, I don't see why David Blatt did anything wrong with that. The only issue was apparently he didn't communicate it well enough, but it seems like he was operating in a super defensive environment where he was scared. It sounds like he was pretty much scared to do anything without getting some sort of rebuking or some sort of backlash or some sort of ganging up by the roster on them, which is like, it's impossible to be a leader of a team when you're working in that kind of environment. And it's kind of an absurd comment to 
to say, well, don't worry about your brand. What exactly is Kyrie and Kevin Love's brand? The Uncle Drew commercials? Are they really? That's just, stop being selfish. Well, I, I think it's more that they're playing for themselves so that people don't forget how great they are. Which is something that, once again, Miami had trouble going through that first year. And they figured it out greatly, obviously, in their second year. Um, but Kyrie basically said that that's BS. And I, I and he made some good points of the fact that he signed up to stay here. And so and Ke- and he, I think he said that Kevin Love just re-signed, obviously, to stay here. So that's not fair. So, I mean, Ty Lue's been coaching that team for the last few months. So obviously he would know pretty well. And the players would obviously deny it because what are they going to say? Yeah, you're right. We we're kind of being selfish and hurting the team. Yeah, no, nah, you're right, Ty. That. We're sorry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sorry we just got this man his job lost. But I'll give Ty Lue credit. I mean, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He gets the job with the reputation of being the guy that the players really will listen to. So he tries to immediately rip off that Band-Aid and try to fix everything so they can move forward. He basically calls everyone out, says, hey, guys, LeBron is the star here. Let's all get in line behind him because he's the GOAT. And LeBron, you got to you gotta actually show that you are that guy. You're, he alpha dogs it. Yeah, it's he, like, but like LeBron's in his 30s. He can't coast it. He's got to he's got to work harder to stay in shape now than when he was younger because he's in his thirties. You know, sometimes he got an alpha dog, yeah. and you know, it reminds me of this time we were in the uh, Celtics media room, and uh, Jay King <laughs> oh, was uh, just sitting down. I walked up to him, and the seat was full, and I said, "Hey, Jay, um, you're going to get up," and he just. That's, ex- said, that's exactly how that happened. And he there's said, no, oh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no embellishing of what happened I'm sorry, Sam. I'm such a peasant. I can't <laughs> – I don't deserve to eat at your table. And he scuttled away. And he picked up his pitchfork and he scuttled away. I remember and that it was, very, it was very just, clearly. And so sometimes you got an alpha dog. So I appreciate Ty Lue. From one alpha dog to another alpha dog, you do you, Ty Lue. So you're basically saying that Jay King is kind of the David Blatt of podcast hosts. Absolutely, very little if I'm experience. You correctly, yeah. Very little experience coming from Europe. Um, no, yeah, exactly. A- AKA Western Massachusetts. No. Yeah, going to Skidmore College. What a bunk school! I want to apply there. Even at full scholarship. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on from the mo- you know from what I would say is absolutely a relatively missed shot fired, but it was a, it was a shot nonetheless. Uh, let's get into the small lineups with the Celtics. Stats. I want to down Kevin O'Connor. I want to give, give you some stats here, courtesy of NBA.com, that I'm sure Kevin O'Connor probably already put in an article. Hold on, me. Kevin O'Connor, come on the GD podcast. Yeah, Go on. We, I'll text. I'll text him afterwards to get him on. Um, so the top three lineups by net rating in the month of January thus far with a couple games left. Bradley, Crowder, Olenek, 25.3 net rating. Smart, Crowder, Olenek, 24.2 net rating. Thomas, Bradley, Olenek, 23.6. Kelly Olenek is a net rating maestro. High offensive rating, low defensive rating. They are playing really well with Kelly Olenek on the court. Sounds like Kelly Olenek's a pretty good basketball player. It sounds player. like it. And, you know, and I've obviously been obsessed with this three-point stat about him, which is that since December 1st, and I'm going to take out that game that Troy Daniels had against LaMarcus Cousins where he hit, was it, eight three-pointers in that game, including that game winner that was actually a double travel at the Ooh. NBA set so was and a double illegal, travel. And an illegal screen yeah. by uh, Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> That's right. But so so excluding Troy Daniels, who just emerged on this stat here as number one in the league at 52.5, uh, if you take if you re- if you erase last night's game, he's not on that at all. But so number one in three point shooting since December first, JJ Redick fifty one point zero percent. Not a surprise; he's been amazing. Number two in three point shooting since December first, Kelly Manbun Olinick at forty nine point four percent from the field over a two month span. 
is unbelievable. And just to give you context, right behind him, Kawhi Leonard, 48.9%. Jared Dudley was having a great year. It would be a, a guy that the Celtics – if they, Celtics could replace Evan Turner as their primary wing uh, off the bench with Jared Dudley, that would be great for the team. But uh, Although I think Turner still has value. Now, there's a, someone um, you, you could see the Celtics trading for. Absolutely. And that's absolutely. a discussion especially, for another Especially after, after that last game against the Wizards, where I guess the Wizards have realized that they're probably not going to be uh, – Yeah, if they're, they're giving they're up, they're barely gonna be gladly any, take be Jared team. Dudley, went to BC – Great guy to talk to. But so number six was Steph Curry at 46.4%. And it should be mentioned that Steph Curry is taking over 10 three-pointers a game. So that he's by far the most impressive there. But dead last in 120th place is Marcus Smart at 22.4%. Does not surprise me whatsoever. So I I want to hold on to that one. But focusing on Kelly Olynyk and the consistent small ball lineup, they've been getting a lot of Crowder and Olynyk together out there. Um, there's the preseason lineup that we haven't seen a ton of, of Amir Johnson and Kelly Olenek together that I think is really good because they're kind of giving you a combination. Like They combine into one really, really good basketball player. Unfortunately, they're two separate human beings. But they, they're just playing a lot better with Olenek out there. They are better than the opponent with him out there because he's stretching out the opponent. He's opening up so much space for Isaiah Thomas while he's out there, as well as Avery Bradley. Um and he is he's been a I think he's been a good pivot defender. He's been a good off-ball defender in the low post. If you post him up with a powerful big guy, they're usually able to back him into a corner and then turn around him. But when he is helping off the ball, he's really good. His recovery speed's good. His IQ to get into the spot's good. I mean, Olenek has just been a really good overall player over the last couple months. And it's, I think the most interesting thing I'm taking from kind of the emergence of Kelly is something Steven said pregame, I think it was a week ago. He was talking about Kelly at Gonzaga versus Kelly in the NBA and comparing the kind of the jump made in the third year. And he's not that, Stevens was not that surprised that um, Olenek is playing better. He's just playing with more confidence and getting used to the game. And I think it's made a huge difference. You can kind of, I actually see Kelly with a little bit more swagger in the locker room, a little bit more talk, like talkative, especially when he was talking about he wanted to be in the three-point contest. Well, he's actually talking, which I think is the first step. Because there. he's making shots and he's feeling good about himself. Yeah. And it it's weird how much sports psychology actually plays into the development of these players and of how like the context of your situation really can affect your performance. But right now, everything's coming up Millhouse for Kelly Olynyk. And Every, everything's coming up man bun right now for Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, and the stats bear it out, too. I would love to see him in the uh, three-point shootout and take down Steph Curry. That would be one of the greatest stories of my lifetime. By the way, it's we it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be in the three point contest. He's he's from Can- he's the best three point shooter out of Canada off the top of my head that I can think of right now. Because so, obviously Steve Nash isn't going to be out there, so it's a no brainer for him to be in the three point contest, especially with the way he's been shooting. The Celtics are officially on the campaign. They sent out their Instagram literature today. I know, right, <laughs> literature. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, yeah, I've, I've been noticing all the teams now. They have they have like really beautiful, I'd say, graphic design wise, Twitter campaigns and, and, and Instagram campaigns for their guys to get in. Even like the small contests on on uh, All Star Night. Who else is? I haven't seen any other things. Who well, would, I saw the Clippers have had a really cool um, kind of like uh, Austin Rivers of for the skills competition. <laughs> Austin Rivers for the dunk contest or the three point contest would be fun. Um, but so with Olenek. We were saying when we first started doing this podcast a couple of months ago, or I joined the podcast a couple of months ago, that Olenek, the difference between 
Olenek and a good player is that he's not hitting his shots. Now he's hitting his shots, and now he's a good player. So it's I think it's pretty simple there. It's the same thing with this team. This team has always run a pretty good system. They've always been pretty good defensively. Their issue was that they were shooting 40% from the field, and they were shooting like 32% from three. They just were missing all these really good opportunities, all these good looks. Olenek is now hitting almost all of his open jumpers, and he's actually pump faking with confidence for once. He's now I mean, he's he's gotten so good at, at driving and dishing at uh, up faking on a charging out defender and getting into the lane and creating. He's almost like a poor man's. I'd say he's like a poor man's dream on green right now. Whoa, 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 <laughs> I, and whoa! I, and I did that say, and Jay I said Crowder's poor man's role on this team. He is the poor man's well, dream. Well, there's yeah, I'd green. say there's a lot of similarities there. But you're talking about a guy that's up there at the five spot, like like uh, he is, is nowhere near and, the physical presence. Yeah, yeah, that's why he's a poor. He's, he's a scrawny he's poor, a poor man's, man. He can't eat. <laughs> poor man's malnutrition version of Draymond Green. He doesn't have the physical presence that Draymond has, but he's really savvy. He's good at get he's really good at either hitting that shot when he gets it or up faking away from a defender, creating a five on four situation, collapsing in that it's a five on three situation and then finding somebody. He's gotten he's he's developing all the skills that a veteran player should have and it's he's finally looking like a good player. And it's not just his shooting that's improved, especially over the last eight games. The entire team is just better statistically, and definitely his kind of hot streak has helped the stats go up. But the rest of the players are doing relatively well, and this is why the Celtics are winning games, why they're dominating. I think they're averaging over 115 points for their past six games or seven games, something like that. That's If they're going to score at that rate with their defense, they're going to be quite successful. Well, they've been going against some high-paced teams like Philly and Washington. And some garbage teams like Philly and, exactly. and Washington. So, which, I mean, Washington, they're, they're you know very up and down. And, of course, Bradley Beal finally gets back healthy for them, and then he gets hurt, and now he has a concussion. So, I mean, it's been a rough go for Washington. But the Celtics are, I think, finally at that point where they're back to what their identity was at the beginning of the season and they actually have momentum, and they're actually shooting the ball pretty well. So they're poised to be, you know, the a top, uh, maybe even a home court advantage team in the playoffs right now. But obviously, we've seen it before with this team. An injury happens, and they kind of lose because they're a team with because they don't have really any great players. And Isaiah Thomas is kind of borderline good to great right now. And uh, in the last two minutes here, we can go over his All Star candidacy because we're a day a couple. He's days an All Star. There we go. Well, well reviewed, but. They're they're going to be this way until they get a great player. It's going to be that if they lose one of their key six or seven guys in their rotation, it's good. they're going to struggle. And we're not even sure if they're going to continue to play well, even with their healthy lineup. I could see the Celtics team losing like four of the next five because that's just the way this season has gone, and they don't have the consistency. We talk about good to great players or not having stars. You know what makes people a star is being able to bring it on every single night. And I think they're going to win. I think they're going to do no well over this the schedule we talked about at the start. But we really have we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this team, and that's what makes the games kind of kind of more fun to watch because any result could happen in any night. Well, and the big thing is they're going up against their, their next what uh, five games are against teams that are basically five hundred ball clubs. So if you're a good team, you go up against those teams and you beat them by ten points. So. That's the real test for them is can they be a team that consistently is winning by where it's not coming down to the last possession? They're not they're not on their heels trying to st- you know stave off a huge run. It's can they wire to wire win a good game the way they did it against Chicago where they were strong, the way they did it against Washington and Philadelphia where they were consistently strong. 
and they're looking like that team right now. Isaiah Thomas deserves a huge amount of credit because whenever the team looks weak overall, he steps up and he makes some incredible plays, and they're getting him off the ball more, which is what's making him great. We'll, we'll table that for next week's conversation, but they're in good shape. And it's and as someone that is going to have people that have to go to every single home game and talk about it, it is enjoyable when it's a team that is actually in good shape. Oh, uh, it's much more enjoyable when they win. The players are nicer, friendlier to talk to. The whole <laughs> yeah. building is just like it's more fun that way. So that obnoxious guy that drives the forklift after the games isn't as much of a curmudgeon as usual. I mean, there's, yeah, he gives yeah. you a nice wink, tells you to meet you somewhere later. <laughs> And it's that Which guy you, with the you, never, you never go, though. You never go. Yeah, sometimes after a win, you think about it. Maybe though. if they win the title, you can beat them there. Yeah. All right, that's what we have to look forward to. Thanks for joining us, guys, on the WEI Celtics podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Packard. You can find me at my new Twitter handle, Sam Packard. Or, sorry about that. F that up. At Sam Packard NBA. Jared at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. And I'm promoting my Instagram again because I'm getting all sorts of new followers and it's fun to use Instagram. So Jared Weiss MBA on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can uh, tweet out our links of it so that everybody in the world sees it. If you like listening to the show, tell your friends, tell that random girl on the bus that you've been wanting to talk to, but you just didn't have a nice breaker. And now you can tell her about the WEI Celtics podcast, which will just roll off the tongue naturally. We're here to make love happen. For Jared, I'm Sam. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Jay. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t